welcome to Standing in the Gap. I'm your host preacher, Brandon Harrell. Standing in the Gap is a weekly audio Bible study dedicated to the verse-by-verse exposition of the KJV Scriptures. It is my prayer that through these studies, the lost will be saved, the believer edified, and most of all, that the Lord Jesus Christ will be magnified and honored through the proclamation of His Word. For correspondence information, please stay tuned until the end of the broadcast. May the Lord bless you as you listen to this week's Standing in the Gap. All right, this is Preacher Brandon, and uh, I'm actually coming to you from the road. I'm driving uh, this morning, and I wanted to try to record something here to give you a little word of explanation. But first of all, I hope that you had a Merry Christmas. I hope that your new year has started out blessed and that you're fired up and ready to serve the Lord in 2023. 2022 certainly had its challenges, but at the top of the, at the end of the day, the Lord was uh, just faithful and met every need. And I thank God for uh, his provision in the, in the past year. Uh, our deputation began officially in April. And uh, as far as I know right now, we're pretty close to being over the top in our support. And uh, the Lord has blessed abundantly in that. And so I thank the Lord for his provision. A lot of transition in our lives, leaving the church we'd pastored, my wife leaving the bank where she'd worked for nearly 20 years and uh, coming on board to work full time with Global Baptist Mission and the Russian Bible Society. And it has been a blessing and we are grateful for the Lord's provisions in this past year and uh, real busy months ahead of the Lord willing. I'll be leaving out on the 10th of January, which is this coming Tuesday and I'll be heading to the Middle East. I'll be gone for 25 days uh, laboring there, preaching some, sitting in on some modules in a seminary as they dedicate the seminary facilities that have been provided and uh, looking forward to open doors of uh, opportunity there to minister and to give the gospel and to be an encouragement to the people of God. And I know that I'll be blessed as well just for being able to be there. And so I would appreciate your prayers for this trip. Pray for my family while I'm away and just that the Lord would be honored and uh, magnified in it. And then uh, when I get back, the Lord willing, if I'm not able to record a broadcast before then, when I get back, we'll get back into Matthew uh, there in February. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, I'll be maybe posting a sermon or two that we've preached this week and uh, maybe maybe leave it up for a couple weeks before we do anything new. But I'm posting a message that I preach concerning the matter of progressive Christianity and the plague that that is upon the churches in these days. And so uh, give that a listen, pray for us, and I hope it'll be a blessing. And until next time, uh, this has been Preacher Brandon. God bless you. First Timothy 4, I would ask you to stand. And I'm going to read this chapter. There's 16 verses, and uh, it won't take us long to read. They're not long. But beginning in verse number 1 of 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. These things command and teach. 
Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. You can be seated tonight. Now, what I just read is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. I just want to settle that at the beginning. Amen. We know that. We believe that. But now, if we were in some little progressive church and I was some so-called progressive pastor tonight, I'd add at the end of the Scripture reading what they often do, this little mantra. Listen to what they say after they read God's eternal Word. They say, here ends the reading of words that give us insight on God. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Words that give us insight on God. That's all they think the scriptures are. They're just words. And in those words, you might find out a little something or other about God. Now, in my notes, I've got the word God there Uh, in lowercase letters because I don't believe they're talking about the same God that we're talking about. Now, you may remember a few months ago in the primaries a presidential candidate by the name of Pete Buttigieg. Everybody remember that fella? He was an open sodomite. He was married to a man. I don't believe you can be married to a man if you're a man. Say amen. Amen. Marriage is between a man and a woman. But he was married to a man. They had an adopted child. And during his campaign, he took every opportunity to lecture Bible-believing Christians about the virtues of his faith. And I'm doing a lot of this tonight because they use words we use, but they don't mean the same thing that we mean. He kept lecturing us about his faith and telling us of the hatefulness of our own beliefs and speaking eloquently about how they aren't Christian like his own beliefs. And he just kept going on and on. Now, Pete is not uh, the, uh, the only one. He's just one of many public figures who ascribe to a philosophy known as progressive Christianity. I want to say to you tonight at the outset, this philosophy is neither progressive nor is it Christian. Now, it has its roots, and I, I don't want to get too deep into this aspect of it, but it has its roots in what's known as the Enlightenment. The 17th and 18th centuries brought what is known as the Enlightenment. People started questioning, people started thinking, and apparently nobody ever thought a thought until the Enlightenment took place. Now, not everything that resulted from that period of time, which covered from about the end of the 1600s all through the 1700s, not everything that came out of that was bad, but a lot of what did was really bad. In Wikipedia's uh, discussion on this, they, they have this quote, and I want you to hear this. It says, Enlightenment was marked by an emphasis on the scientific method and reductionism along with increased questioning of religious orthodoxy. Increased questioning of religious Orthodoxy. Let me tell you, let me translate that into Southern. That means they started questioning the Word of God. They started questioning the Bible and its validity. Prior to that time, I mean, you got these two Bibles here. They say 1611 at the bottom. Uh, throughout that 1600 period and all through those 1700s, there was only really one accepted English translation. Then boom, all of a sudden, people started thinking and people started questioning and people started criticizing God's Word. And that's where all this other stuff that's out here came from. But the Enlightenment gave birth to what's known as liberal theology. Liberal theology then led to what's known as progressive Christianity. And uh, out of this movement came the tendency to deny absolute truth 
and the rise of liberal theology. In an article by, and I'm doing this again, Pastor Lydia Sohn, uh, entitled A Brief Primer on Progressive Christianity, the author praises liberal theologians and says, quote, liberal Christian theologies saw that doctrines were not timeless truths dictated by God that we had to discover, but rather revisable and historically situated cultural products of our best efforts to say something true about one's own experience of God, end quote. Whoa. Revisable? Historically situated cultural products of our best efforts <laughs> to say something true about one's own experience of God. A while back, I believe it was Oprah who started talking about having your own truth. I just want to say tonight, you don't get to have your own truth. There's truth and there's fiction. And if you don't have truth, what you've got is nothing more than fiction. I don't care what experience you've had with it. I don't care how it makes you feel. I don't care how it makes you sound. I don't care about any of that. If you don't have truth, all you have is a big bait of lies. That's all. That is progressive Christianity. She goes on to say, that just as liberal Christians were amenable to the idea of enlightenment and incorporated them into their understanding of the Bible, God, and the nature of theological reflection, progressive Christianity was and is amenable to the ideas of postmodernity and the ongoing epistemological, that simply means the method of finding out knowledge. That's what that word means. As she said, uh, the ongoing epistemological and philosophical ideas and methods still being produced today. This is a form of Christianity that seeks to honor all narratives, especially those from colonized and marginalized voices. And to that end, it is aware of and always seeks to take responsibility for the long and troubling Christian history of colonization and domination. Here's what they are. They're apologists for Christianity. They say they're a brand of Christianity, but they're not Christian. No, they're apologists for Christianity. She goes on to say, it sees itself as simply one perspective in a world of many beautiful religious traditions where there is much to be gained through interreligious dialogue and cooperation. Progressive Christianity sees Jesus as the one who was both followed and attacked for his radical message of liberation and inclusion for all people, no matter their background, sex, race, or class. And as such, progressive Christians' utmost priority is to seek this liberation for all people and the whole of creation. This is a progressive Christian telling you what they believe and who they are. I want to say this for them. They don't hide the ball. Yeah. I mean, they're not out here trying to pull the wool over our eyes. They tell you what they are, what they believe, and what they stand for. She also addresses why she doesn't just abandon the faith altogether. And I've wondered this many times, as little uh, respect as they have for the Scriptures and for Christianity, why not just abandon it and walk away, right? Why not just go away? Listen to what she says. And I want you to understand, when I read the word God here, she doesn't capitalize it in her own statement. She specifically lowercased it, all right? She says... And why she didn't abandon the faith? Of course, I always had the option to leave Christianity altogether, but I couldn't shake off one thing I learned in my evangelical upbringing, that there is a lowercase God who loves me more than I can imagine, who loves others more than I can imagine, and that our highest human calling is to share that love with one another. The little G God loved her, and so she couldn't just abandon it altogether, uh, so she's sticking with parts of it that she likes. Right. 
You've probably seen the little signs out in front of some of these progressive churches. And I just want to remind you, they're not one denomination. There are Baptist churches that are progressive churches. There are churches that say Pentecostal and Presbyterian and United Methodist and United Church of Christ and Universalist Unitarian all around. And they're all over our county, much less not so conservative counties. They're everywhere. And they've all got these little signs out front. This is what those signs say. In our church, we believe. They're going to give you a list of what they believe. They believe black lives matter. Now, they didn't believe that until just a few weeks ago or months ago or whenever. But now they do, right? Now they wholeheartedly believe that. And let me just say, I don't have time to deal with this. Go to the website of Black Lives Matter. Read what they say they believe, what they're about. You'll find out they really only got one thing in mind, and that is the destruction of what they call the Western nuclear family. One man, one woman, and children. They hate that. They, they loathe that. And let me just say, if you really care about black lives, you'll be interested in families progressing and growing according to God's word. Because the biggest problem they've got is fatherlessness. Single mamas trying to raise children. They don't care about black lives. Amen. That was free. It didn't cost nothing extra. They believe black lives matter. Women's rights are human rights. In America, women are running the show, man. <laughs> In a lot of Baptist homes, amen, the women are running the show. Boy, it got quiet. Brother Justin said, amen, I got you with me. If nothing else, we'll fend them off, hallelujah. No human is illegal. That don't even make logical sense. I'll tell you what, though, some humans do illegal things. Like go places are not supposed to go without permission, amen. That's illegal. <laughs> we call it trespassing in the, in the country, amen. Science is real, they say. And at the same time, they believe a man can really be a woman on the inside and not know it. And a woman can really be a man on the inside and not know it. And, and, we, and we're the ones that don't believe in science. They believe cow farts are killing the planet. But they believe science is real. I told you I had a burr under my saddle. I'm just, I'm just getting it out, amen. You may have to brush me when this thing's over with, brother. I don't know, but I'm just... Listen to me, science is real and you don't know if you're a man or a woman and you think cow farts are killing the planet? Get in the real world. That ain't how this works. If you got any semblance of belief in God, then you'd have enough sense to know he didn't make cows that would fart and ruin the planet he made. I said fart three times. There's four, aren't there? But that's what they believe, ain't it? Science is real. Love is love, they say. Now, we all know what they mean when they say that. I would to God they'd take 1 Corinthians 13 just one time and read it through and see what it says about love. Right. Let me give you one thing it says about love. Or charity is translated in our King's Bible. It says, rejoiceth not in iniquity. Right. That's one thing it, it is. Yeah. But the love is love that they're purporting is a love that rejoices in what God calls abominable. Right. And sin and wickedness. Amen. None of these are hobby horses for me. I'm just, I, I, you can ask my folk. I don't make a habit out of beating these things. But I'm telling you tonight, we're in a mess. Right. And if we don't wake up to it, we're going to lose a whole generation of people coming up. You young people really need to listen to me tonight because there's a whole lot of kids your age went through school, came up in churches like the ones we're in tonight. And when they got out of there and got out from under mom and daddy's wing, next thing you know, they became progressive Christians. And now they don't believe nothing God's word says. And they've wandered a hundred million miles away. And you better listen to what the preacher's saying tonight. And then kindness is everything. Wow, it sounds good, though. Kindness is everything. You know it ain't. Truth's everything. Righteousness is everything. God's holiness is everything. But that's what they'll put. They'll put a little sign out front that says all them things on it. Let me just say, if you're ever somewhere and you're looking for a church and you see a sign like that out front, just keep driving. 
You'd be better off to forsake the assembling of yourselves together than to assemble with that mess. Amen. Now, I told you there wasn't hiding the ball, and I'm, I'm going to get to the Scripture. I promise I am, but I'm laying some groundwork. We need to understand. ProgressiveChristianity.org, that is the official website of this movement. They have on there a list of what they call the eight points of progressive Christianity. They're not hiding the ball. They tell you what they believe. Listen to these eight points. Number one, believe we believe that, the, that following the path and teachings of Jesus can lead to an awareness and experience of the capital S sacred and the capital O oneness and the capital U unity of all life. Now why would they capitalize sacredness, oneness, and unity? They're deifying those three terms. I just want to ask you this. Have you ever read through your Bible and came across the word sacred and it had a capital S on it? Have you ever read your Bible and came across the word oneness or unity with a capital letter in the front of it? I bet you ain't done it. You ain't done it in your King James Bible. I can promise you that. They're deifying ideas and philosophies, not a person, not an individual. But they believe if you follow the teachings of Jesus that you can experience the sacredness and the oneness and the unity of all life. I don't even know if I want to do any of that. Sounds pretty uncomfortable, to be honest with you. Number two, we affirm that the teachings of Jesus provide but one of many ways to experience the sacredness and oneness of life, both capitalized again, and that we can draw from diverse sources of wisdom in our spiritual journey. My Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Yours say that? Number three, we seek community that is inclusive of all people, including but not limited to conventional Christians. I wonder if they would really accept and have me in their community. I just have a hard time believing I'd be well accepted in that crowd. Maybe I'll leave them a copy of my CD after I'm done. Amen. <laughs> Oh, they want all these people, believers and agnostics, women and men, those of all sex orientations, gender identities, those of all classes and abilities. Number four, we know that the way we behave towards one another is the fullest expression of what we believe. Number five, we find grace in the... Listen to this very closely. This is very important. We find grace in the search for understanding and believe there is more value in questioning than in absolutes. We got a whole bunch of questions and we don't want no answers. <laughs> I translated that. That's what that said. We, got a whole, we like questions. We like to ask questions. But God forbid, don't ever give us an answer. The values in the questioning. The, I told you this came out of the Enlightenment and that's where this all started. Matter of fact, if you listen to some of these so-called progressive Christians... Most of the time, they will make claims that they were in some fundamental church when they were young and that they weren't allowed to question anything. I've been in fundamental churches all my life and I've never had anybody rebuke me for asking a question. I've been a pastor for about a decade now and I've never had anybody come and ask me a question. I've had to tell them, don't you ever ask me a question. Don't you question me. Now I know there's some dictators here and there. and different. I get all of that. But as a, as a whole, I've never had that problem. I, I've been around Christians who don't mind you questioning, who don't mind you asking. And I'll say this, God don't even mind you asking a question. But if you don't want an answer, don't come ask me. Amen. And Brother Lindsay, <laughs> spoken like a man with experience. <laughs> and if I don't have one right off, I'll do my best to get one. But these people don't want answers. They don't want truth. They don't want any absolute. They want everything to be relative so they can just make it up as they go. And that's exactly what they're doing if you watch them. Number six, we strive for peace and justice among all people. Number seven, we strive to protect and restore the integrity of our earth. <laughs> Do what? 
Did the earth tell a lie? I'm not really even sure what that means. Has the earth been dishonest with us somehow? I will tell you this. As long as the earth remaineth, there will be seed time and harvest, summer and fall and winter and spring. And one of these days, there ain't enough green peace on planet earth to save it because God's going to melt her with a fervent heat. We ought to take care of it, respect it. I believe that. But uh, you, brother, brother Dad said one time, you ain't going to save this planet. Number eight, we commit to a path of lifelong learning, compassion, and selfless love. Lifelong learning. I'm going to read a verse here in a little while. I'm going to go ahead and quote it now. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I said I'm going to get to the scripture, and I am. I, didn't, I wasn't wasting your time. I want you to understand who they are, what they believe, and they want power so bad. And I really believe that the main reason they keep even the term and the semblance of some form of Christianity on it is so they can continue to, dece to deceive and to corrupt well-intentioned people. But with all that in mind, I want you to understand really what this boils down to is the fulfillment of 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith. That is what we refer to as the apostasy. The apostasy of the last day. Now, this is one of the forms that it takes, progressive Christianity. That's not the only form. Let me define apostasy for you. It is the departure from truth. It is to have made a profession and then leave that profession forsaking all that one professed to believe. That's what apostasy is. We're told throughout Scripture that that's going to worsen, that that's going to increase as we get nearer and nearer to the return of the Lord. Now, in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, Paul is introducing Timothy to this matter of apostasy. And we see, first of all in this text, the certainty of the apostasy. He says, now the Spirit speaketh expressly. The Spirit speaketh. This is the source of the declaration. It is the Spirit that speaks. Notice the word spirit in your text. It is the capital S, spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That is the third member of the Trinity. That is God. That is very God of very God. That is as much God as God the Father, as much God as God the Son. The Spirit of God is a being, he is an entity that is God. He's sovereign God. He's holy God. He's righteous God. He's God. And Paul said, it's not me talking, it's the Spirit talking. I'll take that over any progressive Christian woman pastor in the country. The Spirit speaketh. I just want to say this. I'm glad he does. Amen. I'm glad he speaks. I'm glad he's still got something to say. Hallelujah. Not only the source of this declaration, but notice the straightforwardness of this declaration. He said, the Spirit speaketh expressly, explicitly. There is no equivocation in his words. He has not said something in some kind of code that you have to go out and figure out. It's not a mad lib. It's not some uh, puzzle that we have to put together. And I just want to say, if you're saved by the grace of God, every last ounce of this book is discernible to you by the help of the Holy Ghost. He speaks expressly, explicitly. There's no equivocation with him. Then the season of this declaration, he says, in the latter times. He tells us when this will take place. Now, we understand that all along there's been, ever since the first century, since the, first was, since the church was started uh, and took off there in Jerusalem and all the other churches began to come up, we understand that there has been those who have professed and then departed whole book of Hebrews, we're studying that right now at the church. It was addressed to those that uh, were in danger of apostatizing. They had made a good profession, but they had no real reality, and they were wandering away. And so he's writing to them to stay faithful, to hold fast, and he's talking about apostasy there. Yeah. 
But this is a mass apostasy. This would, take, this would take place at the end of the Laodicean age, if you will. You'll find the book of Jude. We'll probably refer there a little bit more. But you'll notice that it's nestled right between 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John and the book of Revelation. And in 1 John, he tells us how to know that we're saved. These things right under you that you might know that you have eternal life. And then in Revelation, he tells us what's happening when the Lord gets here and uh, tells us about all that. But he says right there in the middle, he said, but just be aware, there's going to be apostasy. There's going to be them that profess and they're going to walk away. They're going to profess to know God and they're going to turn the other, uh, they're going to turn hardened hearts and, and deaf ears to the word of God and walk away. And so he's warning us and that's exactly where we are in 2020. I just believe the Lord's coming back. Men are departing. Women are departing from the faith. So we see the declaration of this apostasy. The Spirit speaketh expressly. Then we see the definition of apostasy. Some shall depart. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-4, he talks about the end, the end of times and the day of the Lord's wrath. And he says, These things shall not come except there be a falling away first. A falling away. A mass departure from the truth. Then the dangers of apostasy. Notice in verse number one, he said, Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Giving heed. It simply means to pay attention to. To give an ear to. It has to do the idea of being curious about. You say, well, preacher, ain't that what you've been doing? I haven't been in, in inviting these things to uh, into my life so that I could see whether or not they're so. I already know what's so. Amen? Amen. I know what's true. I'm not looking to be persuaded in another direction. I think it's important for us to know. But let me just say this. If you go home and say, man, I like that idea that progressive Christianity with no absolutes and we can just anything else. Maybe I'll get into that. You better be careful to get me into that giving heed to that, paying curious attention to. But then as we think about these dangers, notice the danger of deception. He said, giving heed to seducing spirits. Seducing there just, just simply means deceiving. And the word spirits tells us of those who are actuated by demonic spirits. Kenneth Copeland, I believe the man's actuated by demons. Some of these televangelists that we see. Uh, some of these women writing about brief uh, primers on progressive Christianity for Huffington Post. I believe they're actuated by demons. And all around us, there are those who do what they do under the guise of being a Christian, under the guise of telling you what you need to know. And really, they're just actuated, they're empowered, they're energized by demonic spirits. John said this, he said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Try the spirits. Put those who come to you proclaiming that they are servants of God to the test. Well, what test do we put them to? The Word of God. I'll tell you this, if there was some of these folk that grew up in fundamental churches that had ever spent two minutes outside of church studying their Bible, they might have known error when it came their way and been able to ward that off. But instead, they gave heed to seducing spirits. Doctrines of devils, he says. Danger of doctrine. Devils are the origin of these doctrines. I don't want a doctrine that the devil wants me to have, do you? I'm not really interested in the doctrines he wants me to hold. Amen. Doctrines of devils. The danger of deception. The danger of doctrine. Deceptive speech. Look at uh, verse number two. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy has the idea of an actor on a stage putting on a show for an audience. They speak lies in hypocrisy. What they say is false, but they do it in such a way that it's believable. They're charismatic. You know, when old Buddha Judge was giving his little pious lectures on how mean and hateful it is to say something God says a sin is a sin, uh, there were a lot of folk that probably got to think, man, I, I don't want to be hateful. I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings unnecessarily. And he was speaking lies and hypocrisy. He wore a suit, 
spoke real eloquently and all of that. And people, if you're not careful, you'll fall for that stuff. Then there's a danger of dullness. Look at verse 2. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Seared with a hot iron. Dullness. How in the world anybody can take an instrument and put it into a womb of a woman and kill a baby and pull it out a piece at a time without being bothered by that? I don't understand that. That don't make a lick of sense to me. Ain't been a time or two I've stepped on a spider and felt just a little bad about it. Honestly. Am I wrong in that? If I, if I shoot a critter in the woods, I want it to die. I don't want to lay there and suffer, right? Respect for life. If they found what they say is a fetus on Mars, it'd make headlines tomorrow and they'd never let it go. It'd be life as far as they're concerned. But here it's just a polyp. But they believe science is real, by the way. Yeah. Don't forget, they believe science is real. Yeah. Seared consciences. How can they do what they do? How can they say what they say? How can they act the way they act? Have they got a seared conscience? They're dull to it. Doesn't bother them. Right. And when you've denied truth and denied truth and denied truth and rejected truth, nothing's going to bother you eventually. Right. The danger of dullness, the danger of denying. Look at verse 3 forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. They deny institutions that God has put in place. Now, a lot of people point these verses and they automatically think about the Catholics because it says forbidding to marry. Well, the Catholics do forbid some of their priests to marry, but they don't have a blanket statement that says nobody can be married. Typically, the Catholics are pretty well pro-family, right? And any, But then right on the heels of that, it says... Commanding to abstain from meats. And I don't know of any Catholics that have dietary laws. They pretty much eat uh, anything they want, drink anything they want to. Amen. <laughs> but here's the problem. with That word forbidding there, it doesn't necessarily mean to lay out a stern command to prohibit something. But it means to hinder, to hold back, to restrain, to restrain marriage. Women, you don't need a man. Oh, you can get fine. You can get by in life. You don't need a man in your life. Oh no, you don't have to. You don't have to uh, uh, follow the, the the forced traditions of traditional marriage. You don't have to do what they say. I mean, I know everybody expects you to, to to grow up and get married and have a husband, young men. I know everybody expects you to grow up and have a wife, uh, but you don't need to do that. They, they just restrain. They just hinder. People are waiting a whole lot later to get married in 2020 than they ever have in the history of our country. They're not interested in it. And I know God gives special gifts to some. I understand that. But I'm telling you, as a whole, a society that is not engaged in the institution of marriage and the, pro- and the, and the, uh, the, 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 pros- or the posterity of having children, that, that country is not going to last long. And the devil hates humanity. He wants every human dead. And he wants humans wiped off the face of the earth. And a good way to do that is to make sure they don't procreate. Right. So you have them, they, they convince them they're gay and all this other stuff. And he does all that. And, and they're just less and less people. And he's all tickled to death about it. Right. Hindering marriage. Young men want to run around and be promiscuous. Right. Women... Want to run around and breathe. They never want to commit in marriage. God help us. That's apostasy. That's a sign of apostasy. It's a mark of the apostasy. Forbidding to marry. Abstaining from meats. Meats there doesn't just mean meat. It means food in general. Fasting. Fasting is a religious exercise. I wish more Baptists did fast, to be honest. wish I fasted more. But I'm telling you, there's some who would use religious activities such as that to purport their false doctrines. Well, he must be kind of pious. He fasts all the time. And then commanding to abstain from meats. And then Paul just, I think he had a burr under his saddle too because he goes to defend and eat meat. I think he got a hold of bacon and really liked it, amen. 
He'd spend his, think about it, he'd been his whole life without any bacon. Then God saved him, realized I can have bacon. He wasn't going back, praise God, and I don't blame him, hallelujah. I wasn't either. <laughs> he goes into a pretty, pretty eloquent defense of eating meats. He said, um, in verse four, in verse three, uh, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God's good, nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Amen. Just for the record, that's why we pray over our food. Right. And if you don't, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I wouldn't eat another bite till I prayed over if I was you. It's sanctified by the word of God. In other words, God has put his stamp of approval on the eating of it, so it's sanctified by the word and by prayer. Paul, Paul fed that crowd on the boat, and he blessed the food before he fed it to them. Jesus, he broke the bread and blessed it before, and he blessed it. Thank God for his food. You ought to do it too. That's where it came from. He said, but I worked. How'd you get the strength to work? Where'd you get that ability to work? God gave that to you. But they deny institutions. They deny what God has set forth. They deny incarnation. In chapter number three of this same uh, book here in 1 Timothy, he talks about, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. All of that points to the deity of Jesus Christ. And if you press any of these progressive Christians, they cannot come out and say to you that Jesus is God. In 1 John, that was the test he gave. He said, you try the spirits and here's how you'll know. If they'll confess that Jesus is the Son of God, then they're all right. If they won't, you know they're apostate. They deny the deity of Christ. One of the progressive articles that I read from this crowd says, it kept referring to Jesus as teacher Jesus. That's all he was to them, just a teacher. I want to say this. They've got to be a little bit, well, we know they're irrational, but their irrationality is showing if they can honestly read the Bible with any honesty at all and come away and think Jesus only claimed to be a teacher. Right. Yeah. He crossed a line. Yeah. He claimed to be God. Yeah. He claimed deity. Amen. And if a man claims to be God and he's not, he's insane and I'm not following him. Yeah. He crossed a line. He claimed to be God. So either you believe that he is or you don't. You don't get to have him as a teacher and deny his deity. If they don't like deity, they don't like to talk about that. They, they deny the incarnation. Jude 4 says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I think there's a reference there to deity. They deny it. The word deny there, let me just point this out. The word deny there means not only to reject and to abnegate, but it also has the idea of to refuse to say. It's not always what they say that's a problem. It's sometimes what they refuse to say, what they won't say. If you meet one you think is a progressive, why don't you ask him, is Jesus Christ God incarnate? He won't say it because he don't believe it. They deny inspiration. That's their real problem. I watched a video of a, a little twerpy fella. I don't know where he was. Some One of these United Church of Christ or whatever. And uh, a woman got up and read the verses before him. They sung some song. I didn't even listen to it. Then he got up and he, that was, that was going to be his text for the morning. And he read. He had her read. He didn't even read it. I guess he's afraid he'd sizzle if he did or something like a vampire on holy water or something. I don't know. But he didn't want to read it himself. But anyhow, he, he, he had her read it. She read 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 17. That ends with all scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished. And he read all that. And, in, and, this, is, and this was the whole point of what he said was to prove that God's word was not inspired. Of all the texts, this is what he said. He said, we take the word, we take the Bible seriously, but we don't take it literally. I mean, it, it's, it's asinine, and it? it doesn't even make sense. Right. You've got to turn your brain off right. to be a progressive so-called Christian. you just got to shut her down and say, I'm, I'm just done thinking and 
They deny inspiration. Let me say this. The scriptures are clear on inspiration. Not only the verse in 1 Timothy 3, 2 Peter chapter 1, a more sure word of prophecy. In 2 Peter, go, go to 2 Peter. I, I, I don't want to take up too much time tonight, but I feel like the Lord's got something for us. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1 and look at something with me. Now in verse 16, Peter's talking about his own testimony. He says, we've not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord. Uh, he says, Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses to his man. He's talking about that experience that he had on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, we didn't we wasn't following some fictionary tale. It wasn't a fable. He said, we told you what really happened. And he talks about the Lord speaking. He said, we heard the voice of God come the, from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I will plead. Verse 18, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him. But in verse 19, he says, we also have, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. He said, above my experience, above, my, above all of that, he said, we've got a Bible. We've got the word of God. Now notice in 2 Peter chapter 3 and look at verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things. Now, let me stop right here before I, go, before I read this. One of the real problems progressive Christianity has is they deny the inspiration of the writings of the Apostle Paul. He's the, he's the one they hate the most. They don't mind Jesus, love your neighbor, and stuff like that. I'm sure if they got over in John 6 and John 8 and got, you got to, you know, John 3, they have a problem with that. But they like all the Sermon on the Mount stuff like that because they can take that out of context and turn it into something it's not. But when they get into the writings of the Apostle Paul, they really have a hard time. Matter of fact, they just try to outright deny that he wrote some of the books that we know he wrote because he put his name on them before he did it. But I wonder what the Apostle Peter thought about the writings of the Apostle Paul. Let's, let's look here in 2 Peter 3, verse number 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the longsuffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, they wrestle with, as they do also, listen to this, the other scriptures under their own destruction. He said they wrestle over the writings of Paul just like they do the other scriptures. He said Paul's writings are scripture. That's what he just said right in our hearing. Paul believed, or Peter believed, Paul's writings were inspired. Back in 1 Timothy chapter number 5, look at this. Verse number 18. Well, beginning verse 17, Paul says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, that treadeth the corn. That's a quote out of Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. You can write it down, maybe even in your center margin if you've got a reference Bible. The, the ox that treadeth the corn, not to muzzle. He says, the scripture saith. So he said, the scripture says this, quotes Deuteronomy, and the scripture says this, and the scripture says, the laborer is worthy of his reward. Anybody know where that quote's from? It's not Exodus. It's not Leviticus. It's Luke's gospel. Paul believed that Luke's gospel was scripture. You see that? You're holding God's word in your lap tonight. I don't care what the progressives say. This is God's word. All 66 books are God's eternal, inerrant, infallible, inspired word of God. Ain't that wonderful? Yes. I'm glad I got somewhere to go, aren't you? I'm glad I don't have to question whether things are so or not. I can go to the Word of God and find out. Yeah. So we see the certainty of this apostasy. It was come and he tells us what it would look like. We know the problems that the apostates have. 
We see the characteristics of them. I'm trying to close. But go to, go to, go to 2 Timothy 3. The characteristics of the apostasy. And I told you, we're living in it. We're in it. There are certain men crept in aware, as you said. We're already in the middle of this apostasy of the last days. The Lord is coming. Y'all better get ready tonight. If you don't know the Lord, you better get the business. Amen. You better, you better seek him while he may be found. You better call on his name because he's coming back. It'll be too late. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. What are they going to be like, Paul? For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. Boasters is when they brag to others about how great they are. Proud is when they brag to themselves about how great they are. Covetous, never got enough. How many more? I mean, you, you got a billion dollars. How many more? How many? I just need one more dollar. One more dollar. One more dollar. Covetous. Blasphemers. Anybody that would capitalize unity and try to make it out to be God's name, that's blasphemous as far as I'm concerned because God never referred to him that, himself that way. And on top of that, they're ascribing to God things God didn't do and things God's not responsible for. That's blasphemy. Disobedient to parents. They were making jokes the other day, this crowd burning down the cities. They said, this is the same young people that were into buggies a few years ago pitching a fit in Walmart's checkout line. Nobody would whoop them, and here they are. Yeah. Disobedient to parents. It started there. Now they're disobedient to government. They're disobedient to their bosses at work. They, got, they won't put up with any authority. Matter of fact, Jude deals with that very distinctly. They're despisers of dominion. They have no use for authority whatsoever. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Not God, not anybody else. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, drop their youngins off at the fire department, never look back. Ain't spoke to family. The, the idea of that phrase is a lack of love toward one's kindred. Can't even love their kinfolk. Now, I know we don't like all our kinfolk. I've got difficult ones, but you ought to love them. Amen. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Boy, if they hate anybody, they hate those that are good in the biblical descent. <laughs> traitors I'd say if you profess faith and then defect and go off into progressive Christianity or atheism or something you've a traitor amen you're a turncoat amen traitors heady heady the idea there is just to run headlong into everything to go head first bulls in china shops you watch them you watch them when they start trying to purport political policy there's a problem here. Let's tear the whole thing down. Yeah. Easy, partner. Let's talk about this. Heady, high-minded. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. I ain't never seen some people so mad in all my life when football season wasn't happening like it's supposed to happen. They tore all to pieces, but they don't know what to do with themselves. Their whole life's revolved around football, and now they ain't got nothing. They don't know what to do. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. I'm Pastor Lydia Song, such and such, of the such and such church. I'm a progressive. Form of godliness. Denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For this sort are they which creep into houses... And lead captive, silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what I have found? And I don't take this, don't take this wrong, ladies. Don't get mad at me tonight. I'm just going to tell you what I've seen, what I know, and what the Word of God's telling us right here. You ever heard of Jen Hatmaker? Beth Moore? Ever heard of Beth Moore? Some of you probably had a Beth Moore book in your in your library before all this come out on her and found out what she is. She's a progressive Christian. Sure. Yeah. Took her a little while to get there, but she's there now. Yeah. Silly women laden with sins. 
A lot of the ones I see, they're females. I'm not. I'm just. I'm just telling. You, when you don't have leadership in your church, you don't have leadership in your home. It says, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're just on a journey for learning. All questions, no answers. He mentions Janice and Jambres. Those were the two that withstood Moses. Everything Moses did, they tried to duplicate it until finally they didn't anymore. They couldn't anymore. And it says in verse 9, But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was also. Verse 3 of chapter 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They're sitting in fundamental Bible-preaching, Bible-believest Baptist church Baptist churches on a Sunday night in 2020 and they're almost fed up. They're almost to the point they're not going to listen to it anymore. They will not endure. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Heat to themselves, teachers having engineers. And he says, so we see, so we see the, the, the characteristics of apostasy, but then there is the cure. I won't give you everything I've got here, but go with me to the book of Jude. The book of Jude. And, and I'll just pick out two or three verses here and I'll be done. And I think the Lord's got us where we need to be on understanding where we are. But in verse number three, we're looking at the cure for this apostasy. In verse number three, he says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I'd have loved to come in here tonight and just preach on Jesus and just give you a, a heartwarming one of them, you know, get you, I, I mean, I, you know, I like that kind of, I like it when the Lord just lets us exalt him. And I've been in the book of Hebrews. I've had myself a time preaching the book of Hebrews. It's all about Jesus. Amen. It's all about that common salvation. Amen in Christ. That wasn't what God wanted tonight. He said, go exhort them that they'd earnestly contend for the faith once delivered. The word contend there means to strive for, to strive after, to fight for. Amen. Don't pick up your sword or your baseball bat and go whoop somebody. Just faithful proclamation of the word of God. Study it. Know it. Be ready always to give an answer to them that ask you about that hope that's in you. He tells them why there's certain men crept in unawares who were before of old. We read that verse. He goes down through this epistle and tells us of what these uh, apostates are like. But then down in verse number 20, he says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. What are we going to do, Jude? You've told us about the apostasy. You've told us what's coming. You've told us that we need to earn it. How are we going to do it? What are we going to do? He said, just, and just keep on keeping on, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. He said, just keep on keeping on. Keep doing what you're doing. Keep looking for the mercy of our Lord unto eternal life. Keep looking for him to come. And of some, he says, have compassion making a difference. Listen, there's a lot of people dabbling with this progressive Christianity and some of these other apostate movements. And they don't need you to beat them over the head and tell them how terrible they are. They need a little bit of compassion. But he does say in this same verse, making a difference. Of some have compassion, making a difference. That phrase, making a difference, comes from the same word we read in verse 3, contend. Earnestly contend for the faith. To make a distinction, here's what you do. You tenderly, you lovingly, you gently take them to the scriptures. Here's why we believe the deity of Christ. Here's why we believe there's only one way to heaven. Here's why we believe the scriptures are inspired. Tenderly. Gently, with compassion, making a difference. Of some have compassion. And others save with fear to caution them. Now, sometimes it's hard to tell which ones need which, right? But sometimes you've got to save, you've got to remind them the road you're heading down leads to hell. Yeah. 
The road you're going down is not going to end where there's consequences and repercussions for the actions you're taking and the doctrines you're following after. Some have compassion, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. I'm closing with this. I'm glad tonight that even those who are dabbling and heading toward apostasy, God can still save them. Isn't that wonderful? God, God can still save them. He's still able to reach down and pull them out of the confusion and the muck and the mire and the relativism and the humanism and the progressive so-called Christianity and save them, hallelujah, by His wonderful grace. Sure am glad about that tonight. Pastor Justin. Thank you for listening to Standing in the Gap. It is my desire that today's episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to contact me, my email is bcharrell83 at protonmail.com. That's b-c-h-a-r-r-e-l-l 83 at protonmail.com. You can also reach me by phone at 828-777-4923. Tune in next time for Standing in the Gap.